Hello and welcome to Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn, and I am joined once again by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. A screaming guitar solo. And my adulthood friend, Minty Booth. Absolutely gassed to be here. And we are discussing our all-time top 100 video games. This week, we have our number 81s. But before we do that... It's time for the quiz. I've been doing a lot of mental prep for this. Big deep breath. The score is currently 9-8 in favour of Mr Booth. So let's see if Chris can bring it back level. Which video game takes place in a dystopian underwater city called Rapture? Bioshock. I believe that is a point to Crystal. Oh, oh, yes! <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, dear. Congratulations. Well done, Chris. You have leveled the score. It's currently nine all with two in the Quizmaster bin. Oh, this is tense. And it is. It is. I know. I know. It's not just this, <laughs> this, uh, yeah, this tropical heat wave we're experiencing that's making us all much more flushed than we usually would be on an Easter Sunday. We've had another question come in. Ooh. Have we? We have. Great. On Twitter... Yoan Gwyn has decided to ask us what we think about the remarks that Prince Harry made regarding Fortnite and, uh, and other such games. I think it's, it's very easy when you're in a position of extreme privilege to have a pop at stuff that you have... You've got no real stock in that. Yeah. The success or failure of Fortnite does not affect Prince Harry in any way. No, absolutely. Why does he care? Why does he care? <laughs> exactly. exactly. I, I know. I mean, I was surprised as anyone that, you know, he came out with any remarks at all. I mean, I do think that it has been happening. Like, obviously, with the rise of freemium games and microtransactions, obviously, when that really started, it was significantly more unregulated than it is now. Hmm. Rightly so. A whole load of regulations obviously had to come into place in order to make sure that people weren't being taken advantage of and so I think well this is clearly where the video games industry has got to and it's working and people are having a lot of fun so as long as people are doing it sensibly then I don't see why it's anyone's problem and I think you know I I, I'm sure you've probably heard this Chris working obviously in schools I've when I've ever worked in schools and kids have been like yeah I spend like 70 pound a day on Fortnite and I'm like well one that's probably not true and two (laughs) if you are doing that then it's clearly your parents have have, have missed a step somewhere in just their evolution it kind of has the connection as well in the same way that for like really young kids now like youtube and and streaming services have kind of I don't know, they take a role as a babysitter in some homes <laughs> yeah. because it's, it's just like an easy way to sort of placate young kids. And I think as they get slightly older, stuff like Fortnite, I suppose, has, has become that role as well yeah. because it, it is something that's free to play. So the initial, you know, there's no initial outlay, mm. but then it becomes very easy that, you know, for kids having a huff to say, well, I just, you know, here's a tenner to go and spend on a new Fortnite hat. So I can go and have a nap. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, we all like naps. We got, mate. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love a nap. I remember a good 20 years ago now, there was an article in a newspaper which kind of mirrors this on a late 90s angle. It was it was a picture of this, I think, 18-month-old like kid or two-year-old kid sat in this nappy in like a, one of those little plastic lawn chairs playing GoldenEye 64. <laughs> and the headline was, this, this baby spends seven hours a day playing video games. How can any parent be so irresponsible to keep a baby quiet? And you'd look at the TV screen in the, in the picture in the article 
and he was playing through the game and he had the Cougar Magnum, so he'd at least beaten the game on agent mode. <laughs> <laughs> Just because it wasn't a skill that people needed to have in the olden days doesn't mean that it's not a valuable skill that people people are learning these days exactly and look at you now um yeah <laughs> strength to strength <laughs> thank you for sending in that question in Yoan. and if anybody else has any questions that you'd like us to answer or things you'd like us to discuss please do get in touch so what have we been playing this week minty I've still just been playing Dead Cells, to be honest. I'm, I'm like you, but with a two-week delay. <laughs> <laughs> just as a little heads up in that case, then, buy some toilet paper. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I uh, spent a lot of time on the train yesterday, so I played the mobile version of New Star Manager, oh. which is fantastic. Exactly what you want in a sequel to what was probably one of my favourite mobile games of, the, of yesteryear. My phone is, is dreadful in terms of doing things, so I don't have it anymore because I'm not on the train anymore. But I'll probably be picking it up on the Switch, which leads us nicely on to one of you two. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I've finally managed to uh, put Tetris 99 aside for a little bit of time. I got to my 20th win about a week and a half ago and then just said that's a good stopping point for now I'll, I'll come back at some point a restitutive yeah but then I, I did as, as Minty has alluded to pick up New Star Manager on the Switch because I was kind of not completely sold on it as, as a mobile game again because I heard the, the sort of microtransaction economy of the whole thing was a bit more severe than the original release of New Star Soccer whereas the Switch one as a, as a premium game that cost 15 quid strips a lot of that out so it's essentially, you you know, you're in control of your own destiny a bit more. Uh, you can play as much as you want. There's always a solution if players have run out of energy or whatever. But it's just a really nice hybrid between sort of a classic football management game like Football Manager or Championship Manager going further back and more hands-on kind of active play in sort of like a top-down sensible soccer style. Mm. And it's it's fantastic. I've, I've played an awful lot of it in the last week and it's been a joy. Wonderful. I picked it up myself and uh, like you said, it, I mean, it's fantastic. I did have it on the um, on the mobile, but <laughs> I've alluded to, my, to, my, uh, to, to the slippery slope that is freemium games for me <laughs> and uh, decided, no, I'm not going to I'm not going to get into that. But finding out that obviously this was a premium version and all the microtransaction stuff was stripped away. I wasn't enjoying it that much when I started, but I was playing it on the TV. And it was when you suggested, Chris, that actually touchscreen works well for the menus and then mm. controllers for the for the playing. Absolutely. That I was like, oh yeah, well this is, this is perfect. And it's great because it's not a game that you need sound for. So I can easily have like the TV on or as I have actually been doing, just Sammy's been playing Spyro Reignited Trilogy. So <laughs> she's been having dominance of the TV and the PS4 uh, <laughs> whilst I can just sit there and manage my little uh, little soccer team and uh, yeah, having, yeah. A, having a great time and it was it was a really good antidote to the last couple of games I was playing so I, I finished Sekiro well I say I finished it I've got to the final boss I've done everything else in the game but the final boss is so nails that I just can't uh, I was just banging my head against a wall with it and so I thought I'll pop it down for a bit I thought you know I'll get a slightly breezier game and so I got Cuphead on the Switch which <laughs> is that notoriously easy game yeah exactly it, it is brilliant and it is wonderful to have it on the Switch it's a, such a nice fit and it looks it just looks and sounds i mean obviously there's nothing else like it it's stunning it's absolutely stunning 
But then, yeah, as a new star soccer, I just needed a game that I could take my time with, or t- take my own pace at least. Mm. So that's been, it's been very relaxing. But I've actually spent this very, very lovely sunny Easter Sunday playing or replaying my way through Papers, Please on uh, on my MacBook. Oh, hey. That is one I've, I've never, never tried, uh, despite, you know, uh, piles of praise over the years, but I've, I've never got around to it. I mean, it got a lot of praise for being one of those classic video games as art games. And one of the things I love about it is the only way to describe it is an admin simulation. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's funny because I remember the first time I played through it, I had it on my laptop and I was playing it whilst I was going on the train to London with mine and Minty's uh, friend Steve. Steve said, oh, you know, what are you playing? I was like, oh, I'm just playing this game where you're a, um, yeah, you work on a board control and just check people's documents and and he was just like well that just sounds awful and i was like it, you're right. it does it sounds awful after playing it for about 10 minutes and steve had been minding his own business and he was just like no 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 that seal's not valid that's that's from the wrong district <laughs> <laughs> which is which is great it's essentially it's a puzzle game because you've got the sets of rules that are in play every day change and you need to sort of keep track of them and cross-reference things and it shouldn't be as addictive and satisfying as it is but it, but it really is yeah. you can tell that it's got very very deep lore oh, it's in its own uh, f- fictional dystopian country that has you know, real Orwellian vibe to it, right up my street. It sort of merges a lot of cultural elements of Eastern Europe and, well, all kinds of things, really. And just the, the further you get into it, the just the smallest things make such a big difference. And then when all of a sudden you've got somebody there just saying, look, I know I haven't got my ID card, but you let my family through. And if I go back to my country, I'm going to die. You're like... Oh, well, I know that I'm going to get fined if I let you through, but also, and then, you know, you have to make those judgment calls. And that's, um, yeah. it's amazing that you feel that intensely and that deeply about a game that is just paperwork. I think it would work really well, like from, you know, from what I've read about him, from what you've described as like a VR game. It would. I mean, just saying that it's like an admin simulator. The only other game that falls into that is Job Simulator, which is really good fun. Yeah. And I think it, yeah, I think it would actually be really, really nice. And I think the visual style of it, graphically, it's um, it's got a very distinct style. And mm. um, what's his name? Lucas Pope, the guy that made it, yeah. has recently done yeah. Return of the Obra Dinn. And that's obviously, that's a 3D game, but using a similar, I mean, that game is just using like two colours yeah. and it's it looks phenomenal for actually operating in a 3D world. But yeah, even not as a VR game, it's oh, it's just incredibly addictive and just little just little things just happen like, oh no, my, my child's sick and so I've got to afford medicine and it's like, well, I can't. And it's like, well, oh, and it's like, well, what do I do, you know? And... I remember I, when I lost the game before, like my family died and it was just like, oh, it's just, oh, it's heart wrenching. There's <laughs> absolutely no reason that it should be anywhere near as good as it is. But as far as I'm concerned, it's quite the masterpiece, which is why it is my 81st favourite video game. Fantastic. What a segue. <laughs> is it? Yes, it is. Wowee. See, I, I was really concerned that I was like, he's talking about this a lot. <laughs> Yeah, he, he, he seems to really like it. I, th- I reckon he might put this quite high up. <laughs> oh, that was so slick. <laughs> it should be. I've been sitting on it all day. <laughs> <laughs> so if you haven't played it, it's available on quite a few different platforms. It works really well on iPad. Yes, I highly recommend it. It is fantastic. Minty, 
Would you like to tell us what your 81st favourite video game of all time is? You may remember that last time I mentioned my local blockbuster had about five Nintendo 64 games, which I'd rent out in a cycle over the summer holidays every year. Mm. We've had one in this list already, which was Pokemon Snap. I'm pleased to announce that the second of those uh, those blockbuster offerings is my 81st top video game. But first, allow me to offer an abridged plot synopsis. Gosh. A tiger's parents own an island. They go on holiday and leave him in charge. Naturally, he organises races with his friends. But then... An evil wizard pig shows up turns, <laughs> and turns the benevolent Triceratops, Octopus, Walrus, and Dragon that also live there into big, like, gearhead jerks. Also, there's a rooster that's been turned into a frog and a possibly problematic caricature of an Indian elephant. <laughs> the tiger and his friends beat the evil pig in races, not only on the island, but on his home planet. Post-credit scene shows that he does not die. It's classic mid-90s. The developers are trying to fill the void in the 60s and the rave scene left in their hearts. Fair. And also, it's a scathing commentary on the white saviour complex. Much like comic <laughs> relief, Timber the Tiger's efforts to save the island are hijacked by an already famous character who didn't do a shit of work in Diddy Kong Racing. Diddy yes. Kong Racing. I was crap at this game, but I loved it. I love it. I loved that on top of characters having their own individual speed and acceleration stats, down from uh, Pipsy the mouse getting to top speed really quickly, but top speed not being that great, all the way up to Crunch the Kremlin having a really slow acceleration, but really high top speed. Each Different uh, character had their own stats, but also the individual vehicles had their own stats. So cars were crap on anything that wasn't a road, um, but they were quite zippy. Hovercrafts were great off-road, but bad on them. And then planes, they were planes, so you could fly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But they were slower than everything else. I mean, obviously, as it is in reality. That's why it takes eight hours to get to America. Is true. I've never played Diddy Kong Racing. You've never played it? Never played it, no. You seriously missed out. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I know I never had an N64, so I missed out on, on a lot of stuff. The only N64 games I've played have been when they've been ported onto something else. Yeah. And I didn't... I was tempted to pick up Diddy Kong Racing DS. No, don't bother. Again, yeah, the reviews <laughs> were crap, and I think I already had Mario Kart DS, so I was like, there's no the point. Port, the port was awful. What made the port awful? They changed the difficulty. They made it an awful lot easier for a start. Oh. And the, they kind of subbed in a few new modes as well. Like, there was... Um, Every race you'd have to go through to collect balloons by tapping them with the stylus as like an on, on rails oh, thing. Shut up! What a bunch no. of shit! It, it didn't. It didn't feel like it was supposed to. Like I, I've picked it up a couple of times when it's been cheap in the past. Played it for a bit and then sold it. And then a couple of years on, been like, it can't be that bad. And picked it up again and then felt exactly the same. Yeah. So yeah, it, it no longer features in my extensive collection. So I finally decided not to bother with it because I always thought it was a strange one to have 
because it was like, well, this is clearly an alternative option to Mario Kart 64, which, mm. I, you know, I knew was incredibly popular and was obviously great fun. But I know that people really raved about Diddy Kong Racing. And I was like, yeah, but, you know, Diddy Kong Racing, I'm sure, is fine. But have you played Mario Kart? At that time, they, they honestly served a different role. Each yeah. That Mario Kart 64 was like the multiplayer game that people just have played obsessively, like in, in groups of four. Yeah. Whereas Diddy Kong had like the big, expansive single player, almost oh. like a campaign. I know that because Rare were making a sequel for the GameCube, which they were in. The, I think they were in Donkey the, Kong Racing. Yeah, they were in the middle of making yeah. it when Microsoft bought them. They got bought out. Yeah, but yeah, going back to that sort of that sense of a campaign, I really love the open world hub area, and it it took it a step further than just being a generic racing game, and it made it feel like there was it made it feel like there was an actual island at stake, like even if it wasn't demonstrably threatened at all as you were playing it. There was no indication that the evil wizard pig was doing anything as opposed to just rocking up on his rocket and being like, do you want to see me do a wheelie? <laughs> just a well-rounded pig for the time. A really lovely to look at game with a really deep lore mm. and yeah, a nice bit of replayability as well. So then once you beat the game, you had to beat the game again, collecting coins Silver Ooh, coins. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. And then TT would be there. Being Once you've got the last one, he'd be like, go for it! Have Rare made any racing games for the Xbox since... Uh, no. Well, no. It's the end of that then. Chris, lastly, but certainly not leastly, would you please tell us what your 81st favourite video game is? I can indeed. Now, this is actually very relevant, talking about Rare, because this is Blast Core on the N64. Ah, So this is one of Rare's earliest games for the N64. It uh, predates Diddy Kong by, I think, a year, maybe. And it's a game that I mispronounced as Blast Corpse for the best part of my life. The funny thing is, that's how I know the game, because I'm sure it's how you would have referred to it as. Yeah, I did up until maybe last year, when uh, it was on Awesome Games Done Quick. Uh, and wow, that's a long time, long time to get it wrong. But <laughs> I mean, know, to be fair, there's the, uh... worse things to get wrong for that period of time. <laughs> so, you know, go easy on yourself. But yeah, it was, I don't know, Blast Core came out at a time when Rare were like, like we just mentioned, a really reliable, solid developer for Nintendo. Mm. And they came out of the, the NES and, and SNES era later, having produced an awful lot of pretty decent games some average sort of tie-in rubbish as well but they you know they're responsible for Donkey Kong Country Killer Instinct Killer Instinct RC Pro-Am Battletoads yeah Battletoads a really great isometric game called Snake Rattle and Roll which is generally quite unloved but it is really good and then it wasn't obviously until the N64 when they started really just pumping out hit after hit because we've already heard Diddy Kong Racing, they were obviously responsible for GoldenEye and Perfect Dark and, and all these they games. They were in and their prime. They really were, to the point where they were they were considered like the second party developer for Nintendo, that yeah. they were not owned yeah. by Nintendo, but they had such a close, a strong relationship that they could basically do whatever they want and they had the money there to do it. But like you mentioned, that sort of soured a bit in the GameCube era. They they put out um, Star Fox Adventures, which was really average. I quite liked it, but yeah, it wasn't... Wow. It's just a Zelda copy, isn't it? it yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> it was only Star Fox Adventures because um, Shigeru Miyamoto pressured them to make it a Star Fox IP game. Yeah. It was originally going to be. A it was Dinosaur, Dinosaur Planet. Planet. Mm. Yeah. yeah. But I think it's interesting. Like we we just talked about kind of rare in the Microsoft era that as soon as they became under that sort of Microsoft Game Studios banner, 
they've just fallen apart really yeah. uh, and it's it's like an umbrella term for just where good studios go off to die yeah <laughs> because like we've mentioned some of the real tosh but you also had things like cameo if anyone played cameo um, no one played cameo uh, it was awful it was yeah. terrible it was it a launch title for the 360 it was terrible alongside as we mentioned the sequel to perfect dark which ran at about eight frames a second somehow worse than the n64 God. awful really bad but anyway blast court is really really good it has a really simple premise it's basically there is a big old carrier truck that is transporting sort of unstable nuclear something i don't know if it's supposed to be a reactor or or waste or something (laughs) but from sort of point a to b and to ensure it's safe travel you basically have to destroy any buildings or debris or structures in the way as the truck always travels kind of like as the crow flies just point to point you get kind of like a a top-down almost isometric viewpoint of the whole map or like a big chunk of the map which lets you sort of have a greater range of vision as you decide what you're going to plow through to kind of help it on its way and you're given a variety of vehicles to kind of smash stuff up in so sometimes it's as simple as a little dump truck or like a bulldozer Uh, later on you get kind of like an almost giant mech suit that you have to jump up in the sky and, and punch down into these buildings but it's quite addictive because all of them require you to learn their own sort of control schemes. They all, they're all subtly different. And while you can pass most levels just by sort of bashing into stuff in a straight line, it's not going to help you when you're going for kind of a high ranking or there's like a medal system in it, um, which goes all the way up to platinum, past gold. So it's a lot to aim for, oh, yeah. which is all like dependent on kind of collectibles and time, etc. What I really liked about it at the time is instantly gratifying because it's just got a real explosive visual style and in the same way i mentioned a few months back about dynamite heady being really video gamey it feels like that that it's brightly colored everything explodes it doesn't matter what you walk into there's an explosion and the story for it being reasonably morbid that it's essentially about nuclear fallout and that something you're preventing by essentially just bulldozing entire areas of residential housing that is purely used as like a a means just to get you into these different vehicles and across varied places across the the map of earth so it's all just window dressing really to just make stuff blow up what i really enjoyed as well was that it is really good fun to play it still holds up for a start like i had an xbox one for a brief period and the rare replay collection included blast core and it still is just as fun now it really does play well but outside of that main guy of just carving a path through each stage there's loads and loads of secrets there's loads of kind of hidden challenges hidden collectibles hidden vehicles and it's a game that is huge like absolutely humongous it seems like when you're playing it's just stage after stage after stage bonus stage after bonus thing it just it keeps on giving and as a kid the most exciting thing i think i'd ever seen playing games back then when this would have been when i was say 13 14 maybe um was that when you finished all the main levels which are laid out on kind of a 3d approximation of like earth as a globe you're then told all right we're off to the moon now hey (laughs) and and then once you beat levels on the moon it's like all right mercury come on boys and it just keeps going (laughs) like through about four or five more planets that they don't do the entire solar system i think it stops at like neptune but that that level of just like you will never finish this game was felt like so stupid but back then it felt like a game that was just almost measureless like unconquerable and I've always enjoyed, I don't know, in the same way like I mentioned about Angry Birds having a billion levels and having that push to want to get a better rating and, and continually pushing through. I think it started with games like this where it was like it wasn't just you do it and then it's done. There was there was more to find and more to do and, and stuff to get better at. And still now I'm, I'm most drawn in by games like that, not necessarily that have this amazing story or some fantastic narrative that's driving you through the experience, just stuff that basically says you can do stuff and you can do some more stuff and we'll we'll keep letting you do stuff forever. Mm. And, and that really, really appeals. It's just really brilliant. And it's really nice that two rare games have come up in one episode because I think 
they are a fantastic developer that unfortunately has really just lost their way over the last decade or so. From what you've been saying about it, I've just uh, pulled it up on YouTube and I'm just watching the tutorial level now. And I think it can be summed up by this little pop-up, which says, this is a periphery structure. Crushing it is not vital. Then again, it's fun. <laughs> and it might reveal a secret or two. Yeah, and that's games, isn't it? That's, that's games, really. Rare did the Rare Replay collection on the Xbox. Yes. Is there any chance, do you reckon, of that coming to any other platforms? Because it's not even on Windows, is it? I think given how chummy Microsoft are with Nintendo at the moment and, and how like Cuphead was a Microsoft exclusive that they then pushed the developers to make a Switch port for, Yeah. I think Rare Replay is something that is very likely to turn up on the Switch at some point. That would be fantastic, wouldn't it? And especially because so many of the games in that collection started their lives on Nintendo platforms. Yeah, in fact, because I know that obviously they weren't able to put stuff like Donkey Kong Country and Goldeneye on the Rare Replay collection. So imagine if they did a new one with all of that in there as well. I think as well, I'm still pretty confident that one of the uh, Smash Fighters will be Banjo. Do you reckon? I I think it's really likely because there's been so much of this, like just little rumbles in the industry for quite a long time now. As Nintendo and Microsoft have got closer and closer together, I think Microsoft know that they're kind of essentially in third place with their hardware and they know they've got enough kind of stock with these IPs that it's worth just getting stuff out there. I would put a little bit of money on that. I, th- I think Banjo for Smash is, is likely. Or Joanna Dark. I was going to say Joanna Dark, yes. Or maybe one of the uh, one of the two from Jet Force Gemini. Another lovely game. They could do a uh, like an Ice Climbers thing with the Jet Force Gemini twins. And the little dog. That'd be great. That'd be great. Yeah. Aww. Well, there we have it. Another trio of games. First of all, we had Papers, Please. Then we had Diddy Kong Racing. And finally, we had Blast Core. If you've enjoyed this episode, or if indeed you've enjoyed any episodes, please do like it, share it with your friends, leave us a review, let us know what you think. Jump onto Facebook, find us on there, R3Cents. We're always chatting about what's going on, what we're playing, all of that sort of gubbins, and we'd love to have you join us in that discussion. If you want to reach out to us individually, you can find me on Twitter, at Jonathan Dunn. You can find me at Chaz underscore Hodges. You can find me at Minty Frickin' Booth. The frickin' is silent. And invisible. (laughs) (laughs) And please do join us next week for our number 80s. 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 80s.